the Lord, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's how we start our service this morning. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be together, whether you're joining us virtually or here in person. Today marks the year since the pandemic started to upend our lives. And it's been a tough year for so many, and we've relied on God's faithfulness and his new mercies every morning, perhaps than we ever have before. So we want to be encouraged, church, because God is not done writing our story. And we push onward in his grace as we keep going through COVID and we're going to make it. So we just praise the Lord that he's brought us this far and we know he's been close to us in these days. A couple of announcements as we get started. Easter is right around the corner and you can register for Good Friday and Easter services at wheatonbible.org Easter to save your seat. If you're gonna join us in person, we hope you can. You can reach out to family and friends to invite you in to join you, whether you are coming here or doing it virtually, invite people to come with you. Also next Sunday night, we have an all-church worship night. It's at 6 o'clock, and it'll be a great night of an extended time of worship and reflecting on God's word together. It's led by our contemporary team, and if you want to join in person, you can register on our website. Um, it'll be live-streamed as well, so that's great. You can also look forward to another all-church worship night on March 16th, which will uh, be led by our traditional team. Lastly, today is a very special day in our service. We have a guest worship leader with us. We have Dr. Dante Ford, who runs the worship department at Wheaton College. And I think you're gonna really enjoy his heart for the Lord, as well as some different musical styles than we normally have on Sunday mornings. So Dr. Dante, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Good morning to you, Wheaton Bible Church. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt God's name together. And certainly it is a privilege and honor to be here with you this morning as we declare the greatness of our God. And let me tell you, because God is so good, we can sing. And we can sing because he makes us happy. We can sing because he makes us glad. In the presence of the Lord, there is liberty, there is joy. So join with us as we sing uh, this great hymn of the church. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches me. Let's stand. Should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is Oh, his tender words I 
together. Oh God, you are so faithful to be our intercessor, that you are a friend of sinners, that you are our friend, even when we fail you in all our failings and shortcomings and blatant sins against you, you have still called us to yourself. And we are never without hope and never without a savior. As we were saying, earth's redeemer, plead for me. Would you do that day for day by day for us? Would you forgive us? Would you renew us? And would you lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name? In Jesus' name, amen.
closer walk with him, we have to let him lead us. It's an interesting concept. We ask the Savior to walk with us, to be with us, but then we do not follow his direction. <laughs> and so if we are going to walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to be led by his wisdom and his guidance, we need to allow him to lead us and to keep us from the things that we would do wrong. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do the right thing. We need someone to teach us and to guide us and to help us even when the enemy would try to throw daggers at us that would get us off course because God is yet working in our lives. Even through the pandemic, God is still working and refining things in our lives. So we will let the Lord lead us and guide us. to this. Lead me, guide me along the way. For if you lead me, I cannot stray. Oh, let me walk each day. Sing it with us this time, lead me. strength 
and power to help me over my weakest hour. Help me through the darkness, Lord, thy face to see. Only thee, O Lord, lead me, lead me, lead me, guide me along the way. Dante, I don't know if you can hear me, but thank you so much, Katie, the whole team. What a wonderful time of worship. It's such a blessing. Uh, 
Good morning, and uh, I'd like to give you an update on our senior pastor uh, search. Uh, at this point, uh, the update is uh, general in nature. However, uh, we'd like to uh, hope that we can share more concrete information with you uh, sometime after Easter. So the elders have doubled the times uh, that we're meeting each month to pray and to seek God's guidance. And the elders are also working in collaboration with the search committee to determine the best next steps in our senior pastor search process. And we are experiencing significant process, progress and important decisions are being made. Uh, our times together as elders are really marked by an air of confidence in the Lord for his provision and peace that God will provide in his timing. It's encouraging to observe the unity that the elders have experienced uh, during this time. So we want to thank you for your prayers and your supports. We've heard many expressions of that. And let us continue uh, as a congregation to pray together that we would seek the Lord and that we would have unity. The elders asked Rob and Rhonda to consider extending, if possible, uh, their retirement date. And I'm happy to say that Rob and Rhonda have graciously volunteered to extend their retirement date from June 1st to October 1st of this year. Uh, I'm a little confused. Was that applause for me or for Rob? I'm not sure. So we've accepted that gracious offer, uh, believing that uh, Rob and Rhonda continuing on to the fall will provide valuable stability for our church. So we're thankful for all that God is doing in our church and what he will continue to do as we trust and obey him and as we serve and trust each other. Thank you and please join uh, me in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for loving this church. We thank you for your ongoing provisions, unfailing provisions for our body. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to increase our faith. We ask you to give us unity as a congregation. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. What a rich morning we've had so far, amen? So um, one of the things you need to know about me is that in my family, I am viewed as a magnet for calamity. <laughs> so a month ago, I was out snow skiing <clears throat> in Colorado with our two sons and two friends. It was the end of the day, we were coming in, we were coming down the mountain, the visibility was bad, the cloud level was low, and I didn't see a drop. 
And uh, I missed it, and I went flying and landed hard on my right shoulder. And the next day, I ended up having surgery at the mountain hospital uh, down at the base of the mountain. And um, actually, we've got a video. Here it is. Now, that wasn't me. I'm better than that. No, not really. Uh, but you get the point. And um, when cloud levels get low and it gets a little dark on the mountain, people like me who maybe don't see quite as well end up hurting themselves. Now, while that wasn't me, there's a couple things I do want you to know that are true. And, and the first is that my prognosis is great. I'll be just fine and I'll be uh, skiing for a number of years in the um, uh, days ahead, and I can't wait to, to get back on the mountain. And the other thing, John, and I want to say this to you, and I, I guess say it uh, public to the, uh, publicly to the elders, in light of this, you may want to reconsider how long you want me to stay. <clears throat> I mean, just uh, think about that. Now, we are in a, really what I think is an amazing uh, series because it um, is about an amazing period in Jesus' life. It's um, Jesus' final words, his final teaching, and we all know final words are so very important, right? So very weighty. So we've been looking in this section that, that begins... Uh, near the end of John chapter 13 and goes all the, all the way through John chapter 17. And it's about Jesus' final words to his disciples, knowing he's about to be crucified, knowing he's about to leave them, and knowing that although they're going to see God do incredible things in the months and the years ahead, that each and every day of their lives they're going to face difficulty, they're going to face peril, and they're going to face rejection. Jesus is preparing them. Now, so far, we've looked at Jesus' teaching, and last week, Josh led us into John chapter 17, where Jesus is no longer teaching, but now praying. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where Josh left off last Sunday, and we're going to begin in verse 6 and go through verse 19. And I want to do two things. I want to look at the front end of that passage and look at what Jesus tells us about what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then I want to come to the end of this section and look at what Jesus tells us he wants for us as believers. So would you stand with me while we read this wonderful section in God's word as Jesus is now praying and I will pick it up as I said in verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were years. You gave them to me, and now they have obeyed your word. Now, I want to make a comment here. Jesus is not saying the disciples have perfectly kept the Old Testament law. 
The disciples are, uh, as we see in the Gospels, fumbling spiritually. Um, They get off center. When Jesus says they have obeyed your word, what he is talking about is obeying the Gospel. They have responded to Jesus. They have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They've seen the miracles And they are following Jesus. So we could read this, they have obeyed your gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I give them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And name means God's character, God's truth. All that you are, God, protect them by that. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is talking about Judas. And Jesus is clearly, unequivocally telling us that Judas is in hell, would be in hell. I am coming to you now, but I say these things. Here he's talking specifically about what he has said in the upper room discourse, this section that begins in John 14. I am saying these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure, the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And this is God's word. You may be seated. Now, to be a believer is to turn from life apart from Christ. And to receive Christ, to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now Jesus here is anticipating that. As he talks to us about what, he, what it means to be a Christian, and really he's uh, citing some grounds for why God should respond uh, to Jesus' prayers for us as, a belie- as believers. And Jesus takes this fundamental understanding of what it means to be a believer in Christ, and here he adds to it, he nuances it, he takes it deeper, he takes it below the surface. And he gives us four marks, if you will, four grounds for his prayer that I find so fascinating, so encouraging 
And I believe you just might as well. So the first thing Jesus tells us is that to be a believer means you are God's. So Jesus says, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Now this is absolutely life-giving. So as a believer, you tell yourself, I am God's. I may face all sorts of daggers, all sorts of dangers, all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of disappointments, all sorts of despair, but I am not my own. And I am not on my own, I am God's. I have been created by the sovereign God of the universe, in whose hands the stars are like specks of dust. A God who was so fundamentally loving, merciful, and kind that he sent his only son to rescue you, to redeem you, so that one day he might restore you and that perfectly in his presence in heaven. As your creator, God is your king. In Jesus Christ, God becomes your father. And Jesus is implying here in these first verses as he lays out the groundwork for the requests that are coming that you and I understand as followers of Christ that fundamentally we are God's people. We are the people of God. We are the living gods. And if you were to take, for example, all the greatest kings that have ever lived in human history and, and, and combine them that would pale in comparison to the greatness of God as king. If you were to take all the greatest fathers in human history, the, the thousands and millions of great fathers and combine them, all of that would pale in comparison to the greatness of God as your Father in Jesus Christ. And to be a Christian means you know this. You know, I am God's. And that is the source of your confidence. That is the source of your security. That is the source of your identity, especially in your darkest days. Last weekend, I got a call from a friend, a guy here at Wheaton Bible Church. A guy that's had some extraordinary challenges in his life. On multiple fronts, many different fronts. And when he called, I recognized right away that his voice was weak. Uh, and, and we started to talk, and he uh, reminded me all over again that he's on a list. He's waiting for a kidney transplant. He needs a new kidney, and he was having kidney problems, so he was here at CDH. And they were trying to put some pieces back together for him. Over the course of the weekend, we talked several times. We texted a, a, a bunch. I, I, I was out of town at a funeral, actually my wife's father's, and we were going back and forth, and I was just amazed 
that in contrast to the weakness of his voice, the absolute confidence and strength he drew from knowing that he is God's. That he is not his own. That he is not on his own. And to be a Christian is to have that confidence. And that's how Jesus begins. You are God's. I love the metaphor. I love the picture Isaiah gives us. Uh, God says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Uh, That's a, a picture for what it means for you to be God. Your name is on the palm of God's hands. That's how much he cares about you. Now let me go on. Jesus secondly tells us that you were given by God to him. That is to Jesus. Now actually Jesus says this multiple times in the gospel of John. And this may be something that you have never really thought about. Jesus says they were yours but you gave them to me. Now Paul tells us that this happened before the foundation of the world. So he says, for he chose us in him before the creation, the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ. And all in accordance with God's delight, God's happiness, God's pleasure, and God's will. Now this is the biblical doctrine of predestination. It's a biblical doctrine of election. And here in John chapter 17, when Jesus says the Father has given us to the Son, Jesus is saying the same thing. What makes a good parent a good parent? A good parent raises a child to know that that child is deeply loved by that parent. So in the security of that love, uh, uh, the parent might show the child the much more profound, much more infinite love that God the Father has for that child. We raise our children to be secure in God's love. And the way they see that is by becoming secure in our love. Uh, Jesus is doing the same thing here. You are God's. God has given you to me. I want you to be secure in my love. Jesus is saying, you Bill, you Beth, you Isabella, you Marcos are mine. I will never let you go. Now I say this because some people look at predestination and election and say, ugh. But the Bible repeatedly talks about it. You can't escape it in either the Old Testament or or the New Testament Because God wants you to be secure in his love. And God loves you so much he gave you to his one and only son. So let's take temptation and failure uh, to illustrate this. You face a temptation and you blow it. You fall. You sin. Or maybe you face that temptation multiple times and you always blow it and you always sin. 
I've got certain areas in my life that are, uh, that, that are sin patterns and God is working. And, and we all have those. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our idols. But you've blown it. And when you do, you have three choices. The first is you can deny your sin. Uh, minimize it. Uh, that's what the world does. There's no such thing as sin. Or you can run from God because of your guilt. You don't deny it. You look at it. You hate it. You, see, you feel so crummy, so crappy that, man, you just have to begin to retreat from God. God could never love me. God could never accept me. Or third, instead of denying, instead of running from God, you are so secure in your salvation, so confident uh, that you are God's and that God has given you to Jesus, that you run to God. You run to the throne of grace. So as Hebrews tells us, uh, you come to that throne with confidence, knowing that you will receive mercy and you can find grace to help in the time of your need, in the time, hear me, in the time of your greatest failure. Now think about it, the disciples are about to face some of the darkest, most difficult days in human history. They're going to abandon Jesus. Now they will come back, but as they come back, they will continue and repeatedly stumble and fall, just like all of us. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, no matter how deep the pit, my love for you is infinitely deeper still. And when you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, I am right there, I am watching you, I am present uh, with you, and my mercies are new every morning. You are God's, and God gave you to me. And I will never abandon you, I will never drop you, I will never ignore you, I will never forget about you. Let's go on. Uh, what else does Jesus tell us it means to be a Christian? It means you continually experience God. Uh, now look at this, this is the, right at the front end of our passage. And soak these words in Jesus as I have revealed you, God, to them. To be a follower of Christ means that you know God and you are experiencing God. I mean, think about it. In his miracles, Jesus reveals to you the power of God. In the parables, he reveals to you the wisdom of God. In his ongoing confrontation with the Pharisees and the Gospels, Jesus reveals to you the importance of standing on the Word of God, on the truth of God. In his incarnation, Jesus reveals to you the humility of God. In his perfect life, the holiness of God. In his death, the forgiveness of God. In the Bible, in creation, and through other believers in, in your life, in your small group, as you discuss God's word, as you get together with people that help hold you uh, accountable, uh, Jesus is revealing the character of God, the wonder of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God. 
To be a believer is to continually experience God. Jesus says, I have revealed you, God, to them. I'm usually reading a couple books at a time, and one of the books, a shorter book I'm reading right now, really clobbered me a couple of weeks ago in a particular chapter. Clobbered me about this verse. Jesus is speaking. This is familiar. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. And the author went on, I'd never thought about that, this, and said, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the heart of God. And what is the heart of Jesus? What is the heart of God? It's gentle, it's kind, it's tender. It's humble, little, literally lowly. Uh, do you see, Jesus' heart is not harsh towards you. Uh, Jesus' heart towards you is not aloof. It's not reactionary. Jesus is not chronically disappointed in you. He is gentle and humble in heart toward you. He is the most understanding, the most patient, the most kind person in the universe. And the same is true of God the Father, God the Spirit. Let me focus on the Father. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Uh, Some translations say the Father of all mercies. God the Father, God the Spirit are just as tender, just as kind, just as uh, compassionate. The heart of God towards you is love. God is not hard. God is sought in Jesus Christ. Now, now think about the application of, of this. So forgive me, uh, but think of the Terminator movies. Great theological stuff here. So if you peel back the skin of the Terminator, what you discover is a machine. If you peel back the flesh of Jesus, you discover love. Jesus is love covered with a body. He has come to reveal the love of God to us. He has come to reveal that the world we live in is a world of love because God is a a, a God of love. So why are we so hard? Uh, So irritable, uh, so harsh, so impatient, so uh, unkind. The very same God that wept at the tomb of Lazarus is the very same God who weeps with you in your lonely despair. The very same God that reaches out and touches the lepers and heals them. 
is the very same God in Jesus Christ who wraps his arms around you when you feel discouraged, when you feel insignificant, unappreciated, underappreciated, and disappointed. Uh, uh, the very same God that stepped into the mess of all sorts of sinners' lives in the first century is the very same God that steps into your heart and begins to pull out the weeds and begins the cleansing process so you can experience all that God wants you to experience in this life. You see, Jesus never promises that your life will be easy. But what he is telling us here in just verses 6 and 7 is that you are profoundly loved. You are God's. God so loves you that he gave you to Jesus. Jesus so loves you that he mentions it over and over. And Jesus has revealed God to you. Now let me go on. There's one more thing, one more mark, one more ground, if you will, as Jesus is getting ready to go to God with specific prayer requests. And this is that Jesus tells us, being a follower of Christ, being a believer, being a Christian, and I'm using being a Christian in the sense of being a real Christian or a true Christian, means that Jesus' teaching is, is changing your life. This is verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Were the disciples perfect? No, but man, they got it. They were in with Jesus. To be a Christian, therefore, is to accept Jesus' words. It's to know with certainty that Jesus is God. It's to, to believe in Jesus. And if you go back to the end of verse 6, just two verses earlier, it's to obey Jesus, to, to give yourself to uh, keeping Jesus' word. Now here's what I want, you to, I want you to understand. The only way you can know if you are a believer in Christ. The only way you can know if someone is a believer in Christ is not by what they say. Uh, but it's by the slow and steady gospel changes in your life. What the gospel does. This is why Jesus says back in the Sermon on the Mount, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And that's what Jesus is saying uh, about the disciples. That's what he's saying marks a Christian. Your life is changing. Not, you're not perfect. You go through ups and downs. We all do. You deny. You have a good day. You have a bad day. You have a Good day, you have a bad day. I, I get that. We, we live that way. But Jesus is saying there's some distinct, distinctives. There's progress. There's obedience. There's acceptance. There's certainty. There's confidence. And I want to say to you today, if you wonder whether or not you really are a Christian, hear what Jesus is saying. Or if you are here and you're not a Christian and God the Spirit is tugging on your heart, I want to invite you right now to come to Jesus. 
and to say yes to him and to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. Because Jesus is telling us it's the quality of our lives that evidences the passions of our heart. Now, let me leave the front end of this passage. Let me move uh, from these marks to this final section and raise the question, what is it exactly that Jesus wants for us as Christians? Now, there are several things, and I, but I want to jump to the end and look at the, one of the most important things Jesus wants, one of the most important things Jesus prays about. And that is your holiness. And by your holiness, I mean your godliness. And we see this here in these last three verses. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Have you sent me into the world? I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself. That they too may be kind of, sort of sanctified. No. Truly sanctified. Now when Jesus prays sanctify them, Jesus is praying make them holy, make them godly. Because holiness, <clears throat> sanctification if you will, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is never merely rule keeping. It's being totally committed to, totally focused on, uh, on God. Uh, that's because the word sanctify means, now hear me in this, to be separate, to be set apart, to be set aside as we see with different utensils in, in the tabernacle and the, the temple for the purposes of God. So holiness isn't merely being better. The concept of holiness, this concept of, of being sanctified is all about being dedicated. Being dedicated to God. Now let me prove this. Let's go to verse 19. Look at these first five words. For them I sanctify myself. Now what in the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus was already perfect. He's not talking about becoming better. He's talking about being dedicated. Well, dedicated to what? Uh, being dedicated to becoming a man and, and going to the cross and uh, dying in our place for our sins, which he is going to do in, in just a matter of uh, a couple hours. In other words, when Jesus says, for them I sanctify myself, and notice the two words for them, for you I am going to the cross. For you I am all in. For you I am totally committed, totally focused on dying that you might be rescued, that you might have life. That you might be totally committed, totally focused on living for me. Friends, the Bibli I'm going to say it again. The biblical concept of holiness isn't just, it isn't merely external behavior. It's an orientation of your heart and, and your life. It's you being all in uh, for Jesus. You're committed. You're, you're focused. And so that wherever you are, whatever you are, are, are doing, you are dedicated to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And nothing will distract you. Not COVID, not politics, 
not family, not work. I mean, think of an Olympic athlete. How does she win the gold? Well, she wins the gold by looking at her life and knowing there's all sorts of things in her life that aren't necessarily wrong, evil, or bad, but that are going to be impediments, are going to be distractions for her. So she cuts them out of her life because she's focused on one thing. She's focused on winning the gold. So she is set apart, if you will. She is sanctified for one purpose, that gold medal. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying he does for us. Why he became a man, why he uh, went to the cross, that he might win the gold for you. And at the end of the verse, at the end of verse 19, and he says, would God, would you give them the grace that they would be this committed, this focused on me. Now, as I wind this up, I want to give you a, a couple ways you can tell if you're making progress in, in holiness. And here's the first. You are experiencing more joy and less anger. This is verse 13. Notice the mention of the word joy in verse 13. And I want you to understand joy is never automatic. It's the flag that flies over the heart when the king is in residence. Now, anger is the emotional or the visceral, visceral reaction to having a goal of yours blocked. Uh, you wanted this to happen, it doesn't happen, so you're angry. You know what joy is? Joy is the emotional reaction to knowing that nothing can block God's goals, God's purposes. God is working all things to, together for good. No matter how deep the waters, no matter how dark your day, no matter how difficult. Think of Jesus on the cross. The only perfect man, the only perfect person in all of human history, totally innocent, uh, tortures, experiences the excruciating uh, death of crucifixion. Crucifixion is how we get our word excruciating, out of the cross. And on the cross, Jesus displays no anger, no irritability towards the very people that are killing him. Praying and said, Father, forgive them, not smash them. And so I want to say to you, when God is your gold, you will not hold grudges. You won't explode. You won't implode. You won't hold other people's sins against them. As a matter of fact, someone said if you're holding uh, grudges against people, then what you're functionally saying is God, hold grudge, God holds grudges against me. Because you have taken your eyes off the forgiveness and the grace that is yours in Jesus. Second, you, will, you know you're making progress if you experience difficulty, but not 
defeat. This is verses 14 and 15, and I want you to see at the end, Jesus is praying for protection from Satan, from Satan himself. Jesus is not praying that we live easy, comfortable lives. He's praying that God will so work in our lives that when Satan ambushes us, when Satan comes at us uh, with difficult things, traumatic things sometimes, uh, that they won't become a disaster in our life because we walk away from God. Friends, training for the gold is hard. It takes the best of you, the best of your time, the best of your talent, the best of your focus, the best of your energy. And Satan wants to come along and convince you that real happiness is found when you live horizontally, not vertically. When you um, enjoy and give yourselves to the good things of creation and along the way, never mind the creator. When he convinces you that, yes, Jesus can be useful, but you no longer have the time uh, uh, to see that Jesus is beautiful. And I wonder this morning, is Jesus your gold? Third, you tremble at, not ignore God's word. This is verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, Jesus couldn't be more clear. The Bible is to uh, your soul what fuel is to a car, what food is to a body, what a playbook is to, you, to your sport. Now think about it. The fall of the human race began with a lie, with a distortion, with a, a twisting of truth, with uh, ignoring the truth. It began when Satan whispered false doctrine into the ears of Adam and Eve. And since that day, every time you and I ignore the truth, compromise the truth, reject the truth, we take steps backwards spiritually. We're not becoming more holy. And Jesus is here praying that you would be people of the word, that you wouldn't ignore the word, you would tremble at the word, you would digest the word, you would listen to the word, you would continually apply the word in your life. So like Jeremiah and Jeremiah 15, you are a person that says, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my delight. Finally, you live a scent not a superficial life. I find this so very interesting that in the middle of this discussion, verse 17, verse 19 on sanctification, uh, Jesus talks about living sent lives, not superficial lives, selfless lives, not self-centered lives. In other words, Jesus is saying, God has chosen you. I am about to die to redeem you. The Holy Spirit is going to give you all sorts of gifts and abilities and assign you a particular place in life, place in history. He's going to give you a personality and so that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you might lift up Jesus. And you might love and seek the good of the people around you. And I am sending you not to uh, sit and soak, but I am sending you to go and to serve. As you sent me into the world, Father, I am sending them into the world. Bless them. Give them a focus on the people around them. And to the extent, friends, you and I see the forgiveness, the sacrifice, and the love that Jesus offers us, then we will love, we will forgive, and we will serve. Let's pray.
Father, I am amazed at all that you have done for us and your son. We are amazed that we have these precious last words of Jesus here. Now, Father, I ask that you you would take the truth of Jesus' words and and you would uh, show us areas where we need to apply this, areas where we need to press this, areas where um, we need to worship you and praise you and enjoy you. So speak to us now that we might honor you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We bow and we prepare to leave this place but never from God's presence. Stand and join with us in singing this spiritual guide my feet while I run this race. 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 So I don't want to run this race in vain. Race in vain. Oh, hold my hand while I run this race. Hold my hand while I run this race. Hold my hand while I run this race. For I don't want to run this race in vain. Race in vain. Oh, stand by me while I run this race. Stand by me while I run this race. Stand by me while I run this race. For I don't want to run this race in vain. Race in vain. Why don't you guide my feet while I run this race? Guide my feet while I run this race. for being with us today. What a wonderful morning of worship. And before I offer the benediction, I want to remind you that one of the most important ways, according to God's word, that we worship him is through our generosity, through our giving. I want to invite you uh, to give. You can give to Wheaton Bible Church online. It's your giving that enables us as a church to live sent lives and to make a difference, not just in the communities around us, but around the world. 
You know all the things we're involved in. I want to thank you, church, for your generosity. And I want to invite you as an act of holiness, an act of obedience, to continue to give and give faithfully to the cause of Jesus Christ through Wheaton Bible Church today. And so, Father, as we conclude, we marvel at the grace that comes to us in your Son, that Jesus' heart is gentle and humble, gentle and lowly. Press that by your Spirit into our lives. So as we go, as you send us into the world, we might honor you by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You guys have a great day.